As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. I'm happy to say that joining us now is Bill Dudley, the former New York Fed president and currently Bloomberg opinion columnist and so much more. Bill, great to catch up with you, sir. I just want to reflect on something we heard about five minutes ago from David Rosenberg, pushing back against this idea that inflation will be stickier on the way down. Bill, I know you listened to some of that conversation. What did you make of it? I agree with David that inflation is going to take a longer time to to corral than people think. I mean, people are focusing so much on the improvement in goods inflation. That was well expected. Uh, as, as the economy has opened up, the dip composition of demand has shifted away from goods back to services. So, of course, goods prices are going to be weaker. But services inflation is really high, and the labor market is still really tight. We're still having job gains well above what's consistent with uh, a, a loosening labor market. So the Fed's got a lot of work to do. I think the big thing about what the next uh, you know year is going to look like, it's really, it's really in the Fed's control. Uh, the Fed uh, is going to keep policy tight enough for long enough to get inflation back down and you know, the, the, the outcome we get for the economy is going to depend on how, how, how much that actually hurts economic growth. I think there is going to be a recession. I think it's going to last uh, you know, quite a while. But it's, it's not going to be a dangerous recession in the sense that the Fed can relent at any time uh, and end that recession, which is very unusual compared to past cycles. This is not a recession that's going to be driven by, you know, uh, financial instability. It's not going to be a recession driven by, you know, uh, household and corporate balance sheets being overextended. It's a recession that's completely induced by a tight monetary policy regime. And so the Fed can end it when they think the time is right. Given the strength that we've continued to see in the economy, and Evan Brown of UBS Asset Management was talking about them seeing it sustained through the first half of next year, do you think the Fed could go even higher than you previously thought in terms of a benchmark rate? I'm thinking the peak is probably in the 5 to 5.5% range, just for the, what you, for the point you just made, that the, the news will probably be stronger for longer. It'll be very hard for the Fed just to stop uh, if we're still you know, at an unemployment rate below 4% and you know, underlying inflation is still running you know, 4% or higher. So I think that it will get a series of you know, smaller rate hikes, but that will probably push us up above, above 5%. But clearly the Fed's uh, strategy here is uh, they're stressing the longer rather than the ever higher. So I think once we get to you know five and a quarter, five and a half, I think they'll, they'll relent, and then, and then they'll just sit, sit there and wait for that restrictive monetary policy to slow the economy down, uh, generate more slack in the labor market, and that will gradually push both wage inflation and services price inflation down. 
This is what Fed officials have been saying, Bill. I mean, this is basically pretty much in line with what they're saying. The market is not buying it. They are still pricing in rate cuts by the end of next year. What does the Fed have to see to start becoming less restrictive? And I don't mean that with respect to uh, keeping rates where they are. I mean, actually lowering them in a significant way. Well, they have to be highly confident that they're going to be able to achieve their 2% inflation objective. doesn't mean that inflation has to be at 2% when they finally uh, relent, but they have to be highly confident. Now, what does highly confident mean? It means that they have to see significant uh, slack developing in the labor market that brings down wage inflation to the 3 to 4% range. Uh, and they need to see uh, the inflation pressures be much, uh, uh, you know, much less persistent and broad. Uh, as, as they are today. So they need to see probably inflation in the sort of 3% range headed down. Uh, and once they've, once they've accomplished both of those things, then maybe they can start to, to relent. But I think it's going to take quite some time because the economy still has a considerable forward momentum. And it's, and it's going to be sustained by, by, by the past inflation that we've seen. For example, Social Security recipients are going to get an 8.7% increase uh, in their checks come January. Uh, and they're going to go out and spend a bunch of that money, and that's going to keep the economy uh, moving along. And that's going to make it hard for the Fed to, to, to restrain things. Bill, you wrote yesterday on Bloomberg Opinion that the Fed shouldn't raise its inflation target. You said changing the objective now would be bad for the economy and for the central bank's own credibility. But I did wonder when that got published. I wondered why you wrote it. Are you really worried that they might actually go through with that next year? Well, I wrote it because I'm being asked about it all the time. Uh, and so I thought I should write down what I th- think the right answer is. You know, the argument for raising the inflation target is really sort of two, two potential arguments. Number one, can't hit two, so let's make the, uh, the objective a little bit easier. That's, that's obviously not a very good argument. The other argument is a little bit better, which is we have a higher inflation target, then the peak in uh, short-term interest rates during the cycle will be higher and we'll have more room to ease uh, when, when a recession hits. And so there'll be less risk of being pinned at the zero lower bound for interest rates. I think that risk, though, has diminished considerably because the peak in short-term rates this cycle is probably going to be about 5%. So the Federal Reserve has plenty of ammunition to cut rates uh, uh, in an environment where, where their inflation target is still 2%. So I think this idea that the zero lower bound continues to be this huge risk uh, and, and, and is a big constraint on monetary policy, I think that's overstated at this point. But Bill, how concerned are you that the Fed will not have the same resolve in the middle of next year to keep rates where they are if we do see the unemployment rate going up and we do see the U.S. entering into recession? Well, I think the committee, uh, it'll be interesting to see whether the committee is united uh, you know, 12 months from now as it is today. Uh, I think Chair Powell uh, means what he says, that he, does, he wants to behave in a way uh, that, that he's not like Arthur Burns, so he doesn't have to be like Paul Volcker. Uh, but whether he can keep the rest of the committee along with him uh, as the unemployment rate goes up and the trade-offs between the two two objectives of the Fed, price stability and, and maximum sustainable employment, become more in conflict with one another. So I, I think we don't know the answer to that. I'm hopeful that Powell will carry the day. I remember when inflation was sub 2% and people were talking about raising the inflation target then. Do you remember that? I do. They should raise it to three. Absolutely. Because then they'd be more ambitious and people would believe they're committed to getting inflation higher. Then they might hit two. Yeah. Do you remember <laughs> when they were also talking about uh, free money and uh, modern monetary theory? We uh, did that too. Crazy times. Bill Dudley, thank you. Appreciate it as always. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. 
Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Alongside Lisa Abramovitz, I'm Jonathan Farrow, together with Alicia Levine of BMY Mellon. Great to have you with us in the studio, Alicia. What is more important, the Fed speak or the data? So, so I think it's the data, and I think it's precisely the labor data because the Fed has explicitly targeted the labor market here as inflation has remained higher and stickier and not transitory. They've been talking about the labor market, trying to get rid of job openings, the beverage curve which is the JOLTS data, and then, of course, you know, the, the wage data. And I think if you don't see softness in either of those two reads, it's going to be difficult for you the market. You know where this is going. Are you saying that good news is bad news in the I, labor market data? I, I hate to say that, but we're back to this world. I mean, we're, we're back to the world where a softer real economy will be more pleasing for the Fed and means that whatever their target is, five to five and a quarter, five to five and a half, is still the right target. The issue is if you get no softness in the labor market, and let's face it, we haven't seen any softness in the labor market in the aggregate data, then we're going to have to go higher. Because in the end, every Fed hiking cycle ends when the Fed funds rate is above CPI, and we are not there yet. Where are you thinking that the Fed funds is going? So we're going to get a summary of economic projections in the next Fed meeting. At the last Fed meeting where we had an SCP, which was back in September, they pushed the 23 dot from 3.8 to 4.6. I think most people assume it goes to five. Is there scope for surprise there? There is some scope for it to be a little bit higher than that, just because, as I've said, the services, the services inflation is not rolling over and the sticky services inflation is not rolling over. So while headline is and clearly the goods inflation has peaked and coming down hard, services has not. And that's 60 percent of CPI. So I think there's room to go higher. I think as you get higher on Fed funds, you're going to see a, a wider dispersion and you're going to see some some conversation in the FOMC about where we go from here. The I think the easy part of the hiking cycle is in a sense behind us after this December meeting. And after that, you're going to start getting some dissents. What do you think is going to be the bigger surprise for markets if we get softer than expected uh, jobs prints or stronger or hotter than expected jobs prints? So I think the biggest surprise would be if we got hotter here. We ha- we're having really high... Um, a number of announcements of of layoffs. And yet, 
and yet it's not showing up in the aggregate data at all. I mean, those those Thursday morning new claims data are hitting new lows, or you know, barely moving off of off, off lows. So it's not hitting the data yet. So I think if the if the numbers were hotter, it would it would be a surprise here. People are talking about short and shallow, and we've been talking about this all morning. That what is the consequence of this type of recession? How long will it last? And we were just speaking with Bill Dudley, who agrees with the idea of a longer and shallow type of recession. Is that an okay scenario for risk assets? So that's a great question, and this goes back to the difference between the real economy and risk assets. So even in a shallow recession, you can still have S&P earnings declines of 20%. And I, I'll just point to 2001 as a great example of that. Risk assets did not do well, even with a short and shallow recession. So I, there is still risk here. And in the end, you know, this year was about rates and multiple compression and, and and the correlation between the you know the bond and equity market, you know, the worst being since 1931, that this is the transition year. Next year is, okay, now your rates are higher. What does it mean for the real economy? And that's, I think, we really have not priced in. I'm not the only one saying this, but it is true that the earnings really are too high and not essentially reflecting 500 basis points of tightening within – 10 or 11 months. I mean, we've never really Not hyped even. this fast. And we haven't seen the effect yet. So that is that is down the road and that is sure to come. Let's talk about leadership. Is it too early to talk about potential leadership for next year or not? So in a funny way, we have started to price in a recession around June, then again, September. And now we're starting to price in a recovery. We haven't even gotten the recession. to the recession. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to realistic earnings numbers. So I, I don't think it's too early yet. I mean, there are certain sectors, there are certain companies that are just beaten down and left for dead. Okay. And and that is where you can go shopping for, for your stocks. Like we think the bond market is going to look much better next year simply because all the work was done this year. And historically, if you look at the 10 worst starts to the year in the bond market, you have a positive year the following year. And it, it makes sense if you think about it. I mean, it's related to the, the rolling over and the, and the inversion of the yield curve. You mentioned the early 2000s. Some of those names were left for dead for a long, long time. Yeah. Can you help me understand what should be left for dead for a long, long time? So speculation should be left for dead, right? So anything where it's multiple of revenue or, you know, that you know, no earnings, that, that will be left for dead probably forever. And I would suggest there'll be some consolidation in those areas. But that's not something to look forward to because there's many of these assets still have a ways to go. We're not there yet. Left for dead is when you're down 80 to 90 percent from the peak. So if you are in a speculative asset or a speculative name and you're hoping for, a, you know, that it's going to, you know, the market will stabilize one day, you actually still probably have another 20% to go on the downside here. What percent of the overall market cap of the S&P is that speculative uh, sort of quadrant that's going to be left for dead I don't, permanently? I, so I, I'd say my, I think it's about, it's about 10% here. It's about 10%. I think that the some of the biggest risk, and we've talked about this, is the large cap names, which are still trading at higher multiples. You know, in the end, when you get a multiple compression year and you get the end of, of the of the you know exuberance on the valuation side, you have to bring value investors back in to invest in these growth names. And some of our favorite growth names are still trading at pretty high multiples. Um, and so the top the top of the market still has risk here. You can see it in how how the 
the overall market in the aggregate has, has has traded the Dow versus the Nasdaq, the Dow versus the S and P. When the S and P is overly weighted, top ten names, twenty nine percent of the index. A lot of those names are still not cheap, and they're still expensive. I think Tom paid her to talk about the Dow. Well, we like to Dow. talk about the equal weight. Yeah, but, you, <laughs> but it's uh, it does make sense though. The same point. Uh, it it does. I think that I think that it is a, a good point going forward. Then, do you think that the potential for contagion is off the table, considering that we still have potentially more washout to go here? So I think there's still a risk. Of, of sovereign debt issues in Europe. I think we are not through this winter. We are not through the nat gas problem of this winter. And then after this winter, there's a summer and another winter. And I think the market's very short-sighted in, in piecing this through and who's going to be paying for this and how it's going to be funded. That These are not easy questions. And I think this is kind of an issue that's been left for dead because it's been a warmer than expected autumn in Europe. And so the reserves are high. But again, that's a one winter story. We don't have a plan yet moving forward. So I think there is some risk there. I think the contagion risk is lower but not dead yet. I think that the Bitcoin blow up is likely to be contained. There clearly was some counterparty risk, but I don't think it was a big enough asset for it to have huge reverberations. I agree with you on Europe. You've got to think about why the reserves are where they are. Nord Stream, are we going to have the same ability to build up those reserves through next summer? Doesn't seem so. Doesn't seem so right now. What do you do also in an economy where the inflation is coming from something completely out of control? of central banks and even of policymakers because it's being it's getting difficult for them to source enough natural gas from enough uh, places over the longer term with contracts that aren't necessarily 10 or 20 years. They worry about expectations. They worry about a second round of effects of inflation. Going into wage negotiations, those kind of things, ah, it's a tough spot for the Europeans. It will be next year as well based on where people think the energy market's going. Have people priced out? Some of that bare case, though, for Europe, based on oh, how much the sure. euro is traded. Can, I mean, how equi- much equities yeah. in Europe are up, are up more than twenty percent yeah. of the lows. Well, look at the Euro European banks. I yeah. mean, yeah. the most Ripped. you know, the most exposed asset over the last decade has rallied enormously. So, you know, risk assets are back on, and and the 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 recovery is getting priced in. And the question is, is this a bear trap? Right? Is this too early? Um, everybody likes picking the bottom and everybody thinks they have the turn. Sure. I just think that the nat gas, the funding, the sovereign debt issue, all related in Europe is not over yet. And the wage issue, as you point out, we have a wage issue here. Let's talk about the rail strike. Okay. Really quiet. Well, if, if, if rail workers were really concerned about a deepening recession, they probably wouldn't be fighting for higher wages. Is the West here. Coast next? That's what I'd be asking. The ports negotiations, do they break down? I wonder if you're interested in a five-part dollar bond sale from Amazon, Alicia. I wonder if that gets you going. That headline just crossed into Bloomberg. Team USA, do they get it done later? Do they get it done, Team USA? Such an exi- exciting game. Isn't I'm going to cool? say yes. There we go. Yes. Alicia Levine of BMY Mellon. <laughs> That's not conviction. That's conviction. She's fired up. So what are you talking excited. about? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes, too. Joining us now, I'm pleased to say, is Evan Brown, head of multi-asset strategy at UBS Asset Management. Evan, always fantastic to catch up with you and the team. Let's just start with the core theme for you guys, which is that you think investors are going to be surprised by how resilient this US economy will continue to be, perhaps deep into 2023. Evan, can you walk us through the why and for how long you think we might be surprised? Yeah, so I, I, I think the, for one, we're in an environment where you still have a lot of excess savings on household balance sheets in aggregate. So we know that those 
excess savings are, are dwindling somewhat for some of the lower earners. But the biggest spenders in the economy are higher earners. You still have a very tight labor market for those lower earners, lower income earners. Um, plus, and I think this is a very big deal, a big decline in gasoline prices. That's going to be a, a, a big support for the U.S. consumer. You've got a social security adjustment, cost of living adjustment that's going to uh, effectively boost incomes. The, the states uh, have a lot of excess savings themselves, and there's direct support for uh, consumers coming coming through there. So, uh, so what we're talking about is a reasonably healthy economy, despite all the rate hikes that we've seen today. Can you be just as constructive on earnings? Yeah, I mean, I think as inflation comes down, that's going to weigh somewhat on on earnings. But I think a lot of that is known, right? A lot of that, even if you haven't seen analyst expectations come down as much, everyone's talking about recession. Everyone's talking about earnings coming down. And so the surprise is that they hang in there, right? We're not talking about a boom in earnings. They're definitely coming down, but we are talking about them just kind of hanging in. And at this point, that's probably enough. Do you think we could see the uh, outcome for 2023 flipped from what people are expecting, which is a good first half and a really bad second half? It could be because I, I do think that the the tightness of the labor market can continue, and that's going to keep the Fed on edge. There's a lot of narrative right now that, okay, the Fed's going to do another 50 basis point hike, another 25 basis point hike, and more or less be, be done. But if the labor market is staying tight, then there's a bias that the, the Fed has to you know, kind of extend to do a, more, a few more 25 basis points hike. Can we get to a 55 6% expected terminal rate? I think we can. And ultimately, you know, that can be the thing that makes the economy crack down the road. But it's too early to trade that right now. What does that mean in terms of the bond trade, given that so many people hid out in the long end? Does that mean that that could be fine for now and we could see that work for another couple months? But if we go to a five to six percent benchmark Fed funds rate, all of a sudden that trade gets blown up. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I mean, I, I do think a lot of the bond rally is is a result of uh, people kind of short covering. Everyone's been short bonds for a long time. Uh, and I think a lot of it, too, has been the round trip that we've seen from from the UK transitioning from fiscal stimulus coming from the trust administration to now Sunak and, and fiscal austerity. So that's putting downward pressure globally on on yields. But uh, all of that is kind of played out and now and now we get to the point where you know growth is okay inflation is sticky fed might be doing more than people expect and then right out there you have the bank of the japan right which which at some point next year probably in the first half is going to be adjusting and even if that's kind of known i that's really that last anchor that there is on bond yield so i think almost even psychologically that's going to be uh, injecting some term premium in, in bond markets and perhaps leading to um a renewed sell-off in, uh, in duration. Evan, if that's the case, where does that leave the dollar trade? Because I'd pick up on cable. You mentioned the UK. That went from 103.50 intraday lows of the year on September 26th to 120 right now. Similarly, we've had a turnaround in euro dollar as well. Evan, are you saying that dollar strength can kick back in too? Yeah, I think it'll it'll kick back in, but um, not to the same extent that that we've seen for the bulk of this year. And the reason being that Europe, you know, the, the 
we all know that they're in recession or about to be in recession. They're going to be bouncing back. In fact, you're already seeing the confidence measure, consumer confidence, business confidence measure stabilize and in some cases turn. So you, you should get on a forward looking basis a little bit of bounce from, from Europe. You know, China, the path is bumpy, bumpy, uh, leaving zero COVID, but uh, the destination is reopening. I mean, they're going to have to reopen in order to make sure that the economy uh, just doesn't completely fall apart and that that the government has the tax revenues to actually uh, kind of uh, pursue their policies on on commerce, prosperity and redistribution and, and the like. So the, the current situation is unsustainable in China. And so we'll pick, pick up there. So if you're getting, you know, more support from Europe, more support from China, uh, it's not just a U.S. driven economic story. Evan, final forecast we want from you. Team USA against Iran, 2 p.m. Eastern time. What's the score? U.S. is going to win 2-1. That's, uh, you can count on that. There we go. <laughs> there we go. UBS. You see, UBS likes to play ball. What was Pimco about earlier? You know, baseball they play, chat. they're playing a different ball. Baseball banter. Yeah. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising healthcare costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Joining us now is Vasilios Janakis, the head of European FX strategy over at City. Vasilios, great to catch up with you. Great Let's talk you. about what went right or rather what went wrong for some of these calls around Sterling, which is now pushed through 120. Well, look, I think, first of all, there has been a fundamental reason in the sense that there has been the pricing out of the excessive risk premium uh, related to the uh, fiscal policies that were basically announced back at the end of uh, September. And the second thing, you know, during that period, there was an enormous buildup of uh, selling shorts. Um, And uh, given the fact that um, we are now in an environment of relative dollar weakness, sterling has pushed higher and you get the unwinding of these sterling shorts. As far as, I mean, if, if you want to gauge the direction of sterling, I wouldn't be looking at cable because cable, it's going to be the mirror image of, of what the dollar is doing. It's got to bet at the dollar of around one. I would be mostly looking at euro sterling. And, you know, I have to say I'm quite surprised that it's still hovering around 85, 86. So you would reload sterling shorts, but against yes, the euro? Yes, absolutely. Uh, but um, uh, the, the, the trigger point for me to do that is that 
I think we need to reach a point at which positioning, especially by the speculative community, is reaching relatively neutral levels. We're getting quite close to that if you look at the CFTC data as well as our proprietary uh, indices. Um, but I'm quite confident in that call for euro sterling higher. How much are you trying to move away from the dollar just in general in terms of your crosses, your pairs, just simply because the dollar story has been A, so dominant and B, so unpredictable? Um, I think 2023 is going to be <clears throat> a year in, in, in which relative value is going to make uh, uh, sense from a trading perspective. I think by far the biggest thing is going to be uh, the housing market. Uh, on the back of very strong monetary policy tightening, one needs to identify the places where housing markets are most vulnerable. Uh, and in us, at least in Europe, if you look, uh, Sweden and uh, the UK are by far the most vulnerable ones. Uh, but aside from that, I'd like to to add that uh, as far as the dollar call is concerned, I have to say that I'm inclined to believe that we're an inflection point in the dollar. It's the Fed and it's also the elephant in the room, which is China. Inflection point to a weaker dollar. To a weaker dollar, yes. I think uh, if you identify the state, the different states of the world, what really matters for the dollar is basically what the Fed is doing, but also what global growth is doing. And I think the market is sniffing that um, uh, basically the genie is out of the bottle as far as China reopening is concerned. So what do you think happens with China? What's your base I, case? Do you think full reopening? Well, it depends what you mean, full reopening. Uh, I think uh, there is going to be a very gradual reopening because it's not in the authorities' interest to do it overnight or very, very quickly. Um, there are a lot of political sensitivities in that respect. So I think there's going to be a very gradual reopening. We also have the very comprehensive property package, which is putting a floor underneath uh, property uh, prices, which will release some consumption impact via the wealth effect that potentially is going to start uh, putting some upside pressure on Chinese imports. But you know what? It's, it's, uh, I think the genie is out of the bottle as far as China is concerned. What do you think the best China proxy is to push that view through? Euro-China. Euro-China. Euro-China Euro upside. And, and the reason for that is at the initial stage of the gradual reopening, you're going to see an increase in inputs by China, which just means that you're going to have a deterioration in the current account of China. And on the flip side, you're going to start having a positive impact on the current account of the Eurozone. Uh, and in general, everything that um, uh, basically increases activity from China and Asia more uh, generally uh, is going to be good for the euro. So Euro-China, I think, is, is would be my best um, uh, trade for expressing that. Can you pair this into what you were talking about earlier about the housing market and how yeah. that dictates uh, the future of certain nations? And you point to Sweden and the UK. Translate, walk us through how a very weak housing market, what kind of deterioration you're expecting to really bleed into currency weakness. Well, uh, uh, as far as the um, a direct impact, that's a direct impact into uh, economic growth and therefore there is direct impact. Uh, to consumption, and there's direct impact, therefore, to central bank decisions. Uh, we, uh, the, the Bank of England is very much aware of the properties in the housing market, and that's why it puts a lot of weight on growth right now, and that is why it seems unlikely, at least to us, that it's going to validate market expectations. Now, why these places are much more vulnerable, I mean, in the UK, you have to understand, in vast comparison, uh, uh, within, in, in great difference with, with the US, where here you have 30-year fixed-rate mortgages, uh, in the UK you have two-year to five-year fixed-rate mortgages, which means at every point in time you get a bigger, bigger uh, 
a percentage of the population going out there to refinance. So, uh, you know, just compare it. You have had um, about two, two and a half percent mortgage rates uh, in the past 10 years. Right now, you're potentially going to gravitate to six and a half to seven percent. So uh, it's going to be a major, major hit. It's going to be brutal. You see in the numbers already, UK mortgage approvals. Yes. I think the lowest since COVID-19. How bad do you think this is going to get in the housing market in the UK? My view is that it's, it's going to get very bad. And the, the, the other issue uh, that the UK is now facing is that um, uh, it's actually facing a more structural problem into the inflation outlook uh, compared to the rest of the world. And the reason for that, um, you know, we've said that, I think it's to a large extent related to Brexit. And, and as a result of this, uh, it will put the, uh, the, the Bank of England in a much, much more difficult spot compared to other central banks. It will be faced with a structurally higher uh, inflation and a much uh, faster deteriorating economy. Governor Bailey speaking a little bit later this morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Yeah, to the House of Lords. And how much does he discuss the ramifications on a housing market that could be decimated, but not just because of interest rates, but also just because... And a general economy. And did you see Goldman Sachs moving what did they some say? of their uh, employees of London to Milan, partly because of this? But look, I think what was really unprecedented was in the, during the last press conference uh, by the Bank of England, Bailey actually said, um, I hope... Uh, that uh, the market is getting the message and mortgage <laughs> rates are going to go lower after an interest rate hike. I find it confusing from the Bank of England at times. I, I don't know. Vasilis Janak is a city. It's great to catch up, sir. Thank you. Thanks Wonderful. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. For insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations, and subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.